Welcome to Camping Cast. This is Tammy. I'm Erin. And this is our 7th Heaven Podcast. Yeah, on today's episode we will be talking about Season 4, Episode 17 of 7th Heaven. The title is 12 Angry People, or if you are in Germany, the title is Right and Justice. Um, there were two IMDb user synopsi for this, and one of them was a little bit... Well, one of them is basically written by the same usual author, and the other one was um, a little bit like more serious. So I'm going to read them both, starting with the um, our usual one. So the first one is... Eric is shocked when his 12 fellow jury members all vote a cop killer innocent just out of spite against the legal system, whining from selfish motives unrelated to the defendant's trial, such as race and other victim complexes. One by one, Eric makes them admit justice is in the interest of all. In his absence, Matt can work on a paper on statistics in medicine in Dad's church office, but spilling coffee over himself is just the distracted start of a crazy series of diversions and self-embarrassment. Meanwhile, the phone is crucial in desperate kids' attempts to save their romantic aspirations. Um, and this is the better one. Rev Camden is called to serve as a juror on a murder trial. Once the deliberations start, he's surprised to discover that even though the defendant is obviously guilty, all the other jurors are voting not guilty, some because of past racial discrimination they or their family members have suffered in the judicial system. One by one, Rev Camden works to convince them to rise above their bitterness and distrust of the system so they can do the right thing in this case. It flips 12 angry men on its head and was inspired by the Los Angeles Rampart uh, police scandal when jurors were in fact acquitting defendants because they didn't trust the police after the scandal. So that one, I guess, just puts a little historic light uh, on it. I'm sorry, what did the first review call... The hang-ups, quote-unquote. Victim complexes. No, before that. So, like, before the race. What's that sentence? Uh, whining from selfish whining, motives. Whining. But whining was also spelled wrong. It was spelled W-I-N-I-N-G. Whining from selfish motives. Unrelated to the defendant's trial. In, such as race. And other victims. Race is a victim complex in, this, uh, in the first review. I'm sorry, I'm kind of fuming at that summary. Um... So, what was your first impression of this episode? Uh, I don't know how to vocalize this in a way that will be comprehensive in any way, but um, I really appreciated the things that were vocalized in all of the jury scenes with the Rev in that why... Um, well, we'll get to this, so don't yes. get too... No, I know, but I'm just... But you, you just think it was, like, muddled. That was your yes. basically the... Yes, I thought that they put two things together that shouldn't be together because the overall message might have been lost. Um, otherwise, I thought that the rest of the episode really didn't matter. I know usually my complaint is that I don't care about the adult storylines. This is one of the first times you where... You only care about the adult storyline. Yeah, where I was only really concerned with what was happening with the Rev, and I didn't really care for anything else that was happening. So, yeah, that's my first impression. Yeah. All uh, right. Um, so I guess we will get into the cold open. Yep. So the cold open really only handles two of the plot lines. Um, it starts with the fact that Ruthie is in trouble... For cutting Sarah's bangs, and Sarah's the girl from... Oh, about, like, five to seven episodes ago, her friend that she stuck up for 
um, after the after she was kind of first complicit in people making fun of her. So we never see her, but we find out that she has ruined um, Sarah's hair and that she's got, like, hair just sticking straight up on her head. And Annie is scolding her for that, and she explains that Sarah asked for Ruthie to cut her hair, so she was like, I thought I was doing her a favor. Um, so I want to say that this is one of the first times we've really seen Ruthie being punished. A lot of the times we get, like, the idea that later on Ruthie will be punished, but it mostly feels like Ruthie gets away with most of the things she does. Um, but this time she's being grounded. Uh, she can't go and help out Mittens with whatever she was going to help out Mittens with and is being sent to her room. And, and it's, like, a really tough punishment because apparently she's not even allowed to see anyone who lives in the house either. I want to say that the reason that she was punished the way she was, was it was a culmination of the fact that, like... She wasn't taking the fact that she did something wrong seriously and all yeah, the other she times. Yeah, uh, she was talking back a little bit to Annie, and Annie said something about her tone as well. Um, the other thing that is brought up in the cold open is this big jury um, plot. So the it's the end of the trial. The judge has given the instructions and has told the jury that it's there. They have to, based on these facts, have to decide whether the defendant is guilty or not guilty. So they've begun like deliberations, except they have no. Like everybody walks in and they're like, "All right, well this should be quick because," and then they go around voting and everyone says not guilty except for the rev, who says that he's guilty. Um, and that is the cold open. So we will get back to the Rev storyline at the end of this podcast. But what we're going to start with is Matt's storyline, which is that he is the comedic relief (laughs) in this... um, As he so frequently is. I actually... I mean, his comedy in this might not have, like, gotten the laughs out of me that it was supposed to, but I did actually appreciate um, that... Matt was back to, like, why I liked him so much in the past. Um, So we see him first. He comes to the house, and Annie is giving him um, the keys to the church because um, apparently there was a big basketball game, which is another reason why the jurors really want to get out of um, the, like, deliberation room quickly. Everyone wants to watch this basketball game. Um, And John has people over to watch it, So and Matt has to write a paper for his statistics class about how statistics, like, applies to his chosen field. And he, do, he he thinks he'll be distracted if he stays at home. So, um, and also Annie was like, well, why didn't you stay at our house and work? And he was like, no, I need absolutely no distractions. I'm going to go to the church and be alone. Of course, haha, he's distra- more distracted than ever. It starts when he spills, co- like, hot coffee all over his pants, and he has to take his pants off. Then he has, like, this brief, like, drummer interlude with yes, pencils. Yes, his pencil breaks, so then he starts... To, and then he puts on the Rev's robe, and it's all over. Yeah, um, there's a moment before that, because where he's looking for music, and he's on the phone with Annie, apparently the only thing the Rev listens to is nitty-gritty something. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's an entire sequence that might be up on our social media about uh, of um, him, like, walking around in the robe and dancing a little bit and pretending to be... Reverend Matt of the Church of Matt. Uh, this concludes with him playing chopsticks on the organ. And what's his name? The treasurer. Lou. Lou. Lou the treasurer comes into the church because one of the church's neighbors heard the organ being played and called like called Lou just to tip him off. Um, and Matt was like, "Oh, that was me." And he explains why he was there. 
Um, because I guess this plays in because Lou is like the treasurer and we assume he's good with numbers and stuff. Um, Lou sits down with Matt. His last scene is that Lou is sitting there with Matt and explaining how um, statistics usually don't tell the whole story and what you need to look at um, is how... Like he, um, if you remember, like from season one or two, Lou's son like has autism, so he's like, even though statistically, my son is the only one who is autistic, like, but that affects my life and my wife's life and the people that we interact with. So you need to look at like the aggregate effect of each, like each number doesn't really speak for itself. So I don't exactly know how this turns into Matt's paper. Um, obviously, statistics think, play a, a big role in medicine, so he shouldn't have had that much trouble writing it. Um, I think the thing is that, like, it's the point that, like, a lot of statistics are, like, one in this many people or one in this many children or one in this many whatever, and how you shouldn't forget that the one is a human being. And I think um, Matt brings up he has a good quote. I don't have it written down, but it's something about the perspective, like the point of view matters. Yes, and this kind of ties into the revs. Like, I mean, they always try to tie the stories across together, but he, he says something about, yeah, you're right. Like the, the perspective that you, you're looking at the numbers from as well matters. Like whether you are the one person or whether you're the, like, out of 100, like the other 99 that aren't the one. Um, so that's Matt's storyline. Uh, we'll move on to Simon next. Um, this is so stupid. Yes, again. So Dina comes over because they're, like, not punished anymore, and they're playing life, and it's, like, very tense for some reason. And, I don't know, Dina puts Simon's uh, game piece in, her, in the back seat of her car, and Simon is very upset because he thinks he should be sitting in the front seat. So they're having all this, like, very fake conflict, um, and then finally at the end, like, I mean, just skip to the end yeah. because nothing really happens. Um, we find out that Dina is still angry at Simon for the love bite. This is now the third episode in a row that has been dedicated. We're harping on the love bite. To the hickey issue, um, which I think is kind of. Excessive. Yes, definitely. There are so many other things that they could be talking about. But basically, she says that, look, you apologize to my parents, you apologize to your parents, but you never apologize to me until now. Like, I don't, I don't, like, you, you know, you bit me. <laughs> and he's like, well, I thought we were partners in crime. That's why I didn't apologize Which, to I mean, you. I think it was, like, correct. Yeah, too, no, right? definitely. Yeah. But then she's like, oh, you're right. I'm also guilty. I'm guilty. And then that's resolved. And Yeah, and then they're all. Okay. Yeah, so um, still don't know what's going on with that. Um, obviously, uh, I mean, all signs point to Simon and Dina are going to break up, so... But, like, this is... I mean, they could they could use other things for conflict than fucking, like, hickeys. Like, they're not that big of a deal. Um, they fade, such as love. Uh, this also... There's, like, uh, there's a heart-to-heart with Annie about, like, Simon generally just saying... When did things get so complicated? Like, life is getting so complicated. And Annie's like, well, this is all a part of growing up. So I guess it's a part of yeah. Simon maturing, entering his teenage years. Learning how to navigate relationships. relationships. Um, so we'll move on to Ruthie next. Uh, as we mentioned, Ruthie's in trouble really for the first time. <laughs> it's the like a, a pretty, I feel like this punishment is pretty har- harsh. Um, first, we find out, like you said, well, she's sent to her room and isn't supposed to be 
receiving anyone in her room, not even like any of the other kids. Um, but, she, but Annie is looking for her, and she's not at the house because she was supposed to do a favor for our our Mrs. Hinkle, mm-hmm. Mittens. Mittens. Um, and Annie was like, well, you need to tell her that you can't help her anymore. But Ruthie does not have her phone number, so she leaves the house to go over to, to Mittens' house to tell her that she can't help her out. So when Annie finds out that she's left the house, it's... A big deal. Yeah, basically, she's like, what don't you understand about the fact that you had to, you had to go to your room? Uh, Ruthie is like, oh, I think I did the wrong thing here again. So she goes off to her room. Um, I'm, I think we're just going to mention this now. Uh, she has an interaction with Mary, which is kind of telling. Basically, she says, "One, you and me are the same. Once we've been labeled bad girls, we can't really shake that label no matter what we do. And Mary takes that to heart, which we'll get into into her storyline. But um, Ruthie, like, it takes her a while to realize what Annie wants her. What kind of conclusion Annie wants her to come to? At first, she doesn't come to the right conclusion. The second time, she pretends to have cut her hair to like. like she puts a hat on and she's like, "Yeah, I figured like an eye for an eye, basically." Um, but then she takes her hat off, and she hasn't cut her hair because she's like, I'm not that stupid. But then she says, I just realized why, I just realized what Sarah's mom's face looked like when she saw her hair when I looked at your face, Mom, to Annie. So this is like the lesson yeah. that she was supposed to learn. So I don't, which, I'm honest, you know what, I really wasn't paying attention to this, so Neither do you have I. anything else to say I have, about this? I really this? have nothing to say about this. I mean, I guess... That's good that she finally got to the... There's a there's a point where she's like, it. I didn't realize that being good was a full-time job. I guess, like, I have to work on that. Spoiler alert, she does not work on that. Um, no, I really have nothing to say about this other than I just thought that the punishment was a little excessive. <laughs> um, we're not told if she's no longer punished. We do... And then they talk about, like, fixing, like... I don't know what's going to have to happen to Sarah's hair. Well, I think the thing is the that um, Annie brings up that, you know, like, Sarah doesn't have any friends. You're her only friend. Now you did this to her. And People she's going to make even, fun of her. She's going to be even more of an outcast. And Ruthie's like, oh, yeah, you're right. At some point, Annie's on the phone with Sarah's mother. And, like, Sarah and Ruthie are going to talk the next day. So, I feel like kids do that. Like, this is a, such a stupid thing to, to make into her, her storyline. Because I feel like this is a thing kids do all the time. And it's just like, kind of like, oh, kids kids do that. You know, they're stupid. Like, they, they cut each other's hair or whatever. Um, and, and the, if they were going to, like, choose. The, the big deal that they made about this, what that should have been something a little bit more serious. Like, I feel like she should have been in more trouble that time when those other girls were making fun of Sarah right. than for this. Because, like, Sarah, like, even though, like, she should know better. And not do it like Sarah asked her to. So like, is she? I don't know. Well, yeah, I was. Is that's she really exactly going to be that angry say. about the result for something that she asked Ruthie to do, even if you know it didn't come out the way that she exactly wanted it? If we really wanted to have a, like an episode where Ruthie was being punished, there were a lot of other things Ruthie has done mm-hmm. that would have worked better for a punishment than this. Um, so Lucy and Mary, uh, Mary storyline, by far the stupidest yes. storyline in this. So. 
Because Andrew Mann was introduced at the end of last episode, we now find out that Andrew Nalos was apparently Lucy's boyfriend. <laughs> even though they After dated... they went on one date and then they made out at the movie theater when she was on a date with a different guy. Um, and basically, she wants him... She wants to run into him at the promenade, just like Mary wants to run into Robbie at the promenade. But so they ask Annie if they could get an advance against their allowance for the next week because they want to go get, like, cappuccinos and basically just hang out at the promenade. But, like, you know, it's the Camden, so they always have to give, an, um, like, a destination or, like, what exactly they're going to be doing. So they can't just say, like, we're going to hang out at the promenade. Annie is like, absolutely not. You borrow against your allowance. Last week. Last week, and that's why you have no allowance this week. So, um, Again, this point about how um, they don't have that much money, how they can't afford this. Um, personal responsibility being instilled. Uh, so so they like, go to their room and are like trying to plot yeah. ways to get out of the house or what they're going to do. So like, oh, we won't, let's, okay, we won't go uh, and get a cappuccino. We'll just walk around the promenade. And, and he's like, well, why do you really want to go? So Mary spe- like spills on, like tells on Lucy saying, oh, she wants to see Andrew. And Lucy spills on Mary saying, oh, she wants to see Ma- Robbie. And they like kind of like, Lucy hits Mary, and then Mary hits Lucy back, except Mary hitting Lucy gives Lucy a black eye, essentially. So Lucy is in Mary's death. Depth. Death. Debt. (laughs) Yeah, that one. Debt. (laughs) Debt. It's a silent B. Couldn't say Um, it, sorry. And um, so she's like, go get me an ice pack, and then she's like, Go get me an iced tea, and then... But before this happens... Oh, right. Um, no, I was not paying attention to anything, really. Mary is like, I, I know how I can repay you. I can call Andrew for you and tell you, like, tell him that you're shy and that he, he should call you and blah, blah, blah. And Lucy's like, no, because I don't know. I know we have chemistry, but I don't know if I want to date him, which is, like, this dilemma again. Um, then Mar- and then Mary has her conversation with Ruthie about the bad girl being always a bad girl. So she gets an idea. And she comes back into the room with the iced tea. <laughs> and uh, Lucy's like, what took you so long? Um, and Mary makes up this whole thing about that she called Andrew Nalos for her. But it's okay because he, didn't, he wasn't home. He was on a date. His father said that he, he was on a date with another girl and that Lucy, like, I don't know, basically he's not going to call back because Andrew Nalos' parents like this new girl much better and that Even they... Even though Andrew doesn't like the new girl. But they think it's okay because they don't like making out as much as Lucy and Andrew like making out, and making out leads to sex, and they don't want... Andrew's not ready to have sex yet, and Lucy's sitting there, like, looking horrified that this entire conversation took place. And then I turned to Aaron, and I was just like, so that didn't really happen, did it? And then ex- immediately after, we see, like, Mary turn to the camera and, and have she just, has like... she has the e- most evil look on her face. So Lucy, panicking... <laughs> calls Andrew Nalas's house. So the first time she calls, she's like, it's Lucy Camden, my sister just called, and Andrew Nalas's dad goes, uh, no, we are not looking for long dist- a new long-distance plan, and hangs up. So he, she calls again. She's like, don't hang up. It's Lucy Camden. 
my sister just called and like has this conversation about how look uh I'm not ready for a relationship either. I don't want you to think that, like... I'm not ready to have, have sex, sex either. Eat. So it's... And he, this movie, he's like... Andrew Nalos' father is like, What? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> like, Who's what kind of, having sex? It's like, like what, kind of, what kind of telephone company is this? <laughs> and So it still doesn't understand that this is Lucy. Um, so then Lucy's like, I am Lucy Camden. We went on... I went on a date with your son months ago. <laughs> um, he's like, Oh, the minister's daughter. That girl that, you know... All she thinks about is sex or something, and <laughs> yeah. So it was pretty funny. This is like the yeah. Best. This was this, this is, is like pretty funny. Part, her big rant about like. <laughs> so she hangs know. up, and Mary's like, and Lucy's like, "You didn't call, did you?" And Mary's like, "Maybe I did, maybe I didn't." And then she runs away, and Lucy runs after her. And they're hiding in Ruthie's. Well, this is yeah. We yeah. talked about this. This is when she pretends she cut her hair. Whatever. It's kind of then Lucy pretends she called Robbie. She of course did not. Um, because okay, no. Lucy's like I called Robbie and I told him all these things about like you're not good enough. Isn't this what no. she's? Oh, she says even damn. even though you led my sister on and then took her to a motel. Um, you should still call her back, is basically what she says. And, like, something about, like, I don't like you, but still. Um, Mary's like, what? Why did you do that? And Lucy's like, maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. And so now Mary's chasing after Lucy, but then Lucy, I don't know what, how this happened, like, how they end up having this conversation. Yeah, because it turned out being good, because I, again, was, like, still upset that they were doing this. Like, Lucy is, um, Mary is still like, I just want Robbie to come back. Um, but in the end, Mary ends up saying that, like, I basically want to call Robbie to tell him off, or I hope that he calls so I can tell him off. She basically says, no, I don't want him back. I realize he's a bad person. I don't want him in my life. He, like, lied to me. And he, she, like, the, all the conviction she had a couple of episodes ago comes back. Um... I don't understand why this, like, back and forth had to happen. Oh, we also get this conversation between Lucy and Mary where Lucy's like, why did you, like, try to trick me and do all this stuff? And she's like, because I've done one bad thing and now everybody else, everybody thinks I'm bad and I just wanted to do this thing. I don't under, I didn't understand this either. Do you have anything to say about it? Nah. Um, But uh, just happy that. That Mary's got her head back on straight. Yeah. Um, I don't really, all of this stuff with Simon and Ruthie and Mary ties in to the Rev, like, jury storyline, but I'm going to be very honest, I was really mostly interested in, as I said earlier, in the Rev storyline, so I did not pay attention to how everything connected, mostly because, yeah, so if you guys have things to say about it, you're more than welcome. I mean, I, I feel like it all was, like, sort of, like... The punishment fits the crime. Punishment fits the crime, and then Matt's thing was, like, you have to be able to see things from different perspectives. Like, um, well, we, we can get to, like, the Revs thing, but, like, de- details or, like, reports in the news or, I don't know. Um, they all... Pe- people read you things through their own the lens. Right. And, like, you need... It, you have to see all sides of the yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. You can't just take what you read as, like, gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, I guess, Mary's and Lucy's thing was probably about, like, doing a bad thing once or one person being bad doesn't mean, I don't know, it doesn't define them. I don't, 
I honestly have <laughs> no idea. But okay, so well, let's get well, it was to. All, it's not like this was like cut and dry, yeah, easy yeah. to pick up on everything. So I that, feel like that's... if I was paying attention, maybe it would have been. But again, it wasn't, mm-hmm. um, which happens because sometimes seven seven just doesn't grab my attention. Um, so we are going to get to the final storyline, which I think is supposed to be the main storyline. But Aaron pointed out that they didn't really spend a lot of time on it. Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is. Um, we obviously have 12 jurors, um, and it's a good mix of men and women and uh, different races. But the one juror that stood out was, uh, none of the jurors had names, by the way. So uh, this was played by Tom Virtue, and he's most well-known for uh, Steve Stevens from Even Stevens. That's the dad from the Even Stevens. But he was also in another Brenda Hampton show. The Secret Life of the American Teenager. Where he played a reverend, Reverend Stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also was in a bunch of other things. He was in a bunch of seasons of Two and a Half Men. He was in American Horror Story. He's been in, like, he's had bit parts in movies like... He's been in a lot of stuff. Transformers, like, yeah. um, the uh, Iron Man 3, I think, or maybe 2. But yeah, um, so as we mentioned, all of the jury except for the Rev said not guilty. And we're led, immediately told, basically, that everybody understands that the defendant is guilty of uh, the way that, I think, we don't know a lot about the crime or, like the, the, like, the series of events, but basically the defendant is a drug dealer or a, um, purportedly a drug dealer. He was caught by the police officer, and he was running away from the police officer, and while running away... He ended up shooting and killing the police officer. Um, that's all we know. But the Rev thinks it's pretty cut and dry. Which I think we're supposed to gather as the audience as well. That like, and I think because all the other jury members also believe that he is guilty. Like he, the defendant did what he did, but they don't want to convict him because of the pa- American trying to remedy past discrimination yes be- and current dis- discrimination yeah. and future discrimination um, because of the American judicial system so for example one of the jurors just actually a couple of jurors just believe that the American legal system is not just um, that it like is a waste of the tax payers dollars that this is like Tom, Tom Virtue yeah, is Tom, like or, kind of like a weird conspiracy theorist and he, it's like um, he thinks that it's all a waste of time. He's very much a cynic. Uh, he, like, yeah. Then we have um, a cup, a bunch of the other jurors are people that are from the same neighborhood as the defendant. And um, a cup- one of them is like a shop owner. Um, one of them is just like it's like a Hispanic man, and he's like, oh my. And yes, or my, okay, aunt. my aunt was pulled over once when she was driving. A, he, I don't know why he says it's a rental car. He should. He should. They should have written this line. It's just it was her car, um, and she was pulled over just for like being you know Hispanic. Oh, D W B driving while brown, um, and she was driving a pretty nice car. A BMW. A and um, like it was it was a, a police error. Um, because he's like, the plates didn't match the car or something. I think that's which, why they had to say it was a rental car. Oh, okay. Um, the so license they, plate didn't, uh, yeah. Um, 
So, so she, he's he's like and and they didn't even put, she's like a judge and they had her you know on the the ground on the asphalt for like thirty minutes which during I don't I mean if if the if the like the, this also kind of stretched it as far as like I don't I guess I don't know but like I think it's asking, possible what if they just need to run like a license plate but I think I the point know. I think the point is when you are a person of color you're treated differently yeah than um. A, a, a white person would be um, and he also brings up the point of like yeah and my aunt was a judge and I have an MBA and what did you think when you first looked at me <laughs> you probably thought oh is he a member of a gang and the rev returns <laughs> it with well what do you think when you first look at me just because other white people are like racist or whatever or prejudiced yeah. doesn't like it's it's racist for you, or basically, it's preju- you're being prejudiced against me uh, for assuming that about me. Basically, in a roundabout way, the Rev is saying that this, this is reverse racism. Or just racism, I don't know. I didn't, isn't it reverse racism? I don't know. <laughs> well, no, well that's anyway. What, that's what he's saying, though. I know, yeah, he's like, you're... I, I don't know, he's like, you. by thinking that I'm prejudiced against you, you are being prejudiced towards me. So... <sighs> You skipped the part where the older black no, man... No, no, I, I, I just ha- thought... Yeah, that happened right in the beginning. Yeah, but I was just saying, I thought we were going from juror uh, to juror. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, Since we talked about Tom Virtue and that other lady, and now we're t- we talked about yeah. that. Yeah. So... Um, and then the Rev brings up to the lady who was the shop owner in the same neighborhood. He's like, oh, but think about this. If this cop, you know, if this guy goes free and he is a cop killer, like, has your, you know, do you ever worry about your shop getting robbed? And what if um, the police don't want to patrol, like, your neighborhood anymore because this one cop killer will go free and they don't feel safe there anymore? Um, and what if your shop gets robbed and you need the police and they're not around? Which is, like, such a roundabout stupid... Um, I didn't th- like this argument because it made it seem like it... Like the police are going to retaliate. Yes. Wh- which I don't think gets, like, the message across for the Rev because a lot of the people in, that, in the jury were like, well... The cop, cops are corrupt, you know, they bend the rules a lot. Right, the better, the better way to prove that point would be, like, this guy lives in your community, and he's, like, a violent, like, right. a violent offender, and he would be released back into your community, and that could someday impact you. That's the way, the way to get to what they were trying to prove there, I think. Instead of but saying, But he said like, the police are going to stop patrolling your neighborhood when it could have just been, like, you are letting someone who has previously committed a violent crime, like, go free and live you know, in your neighborhood, and, pre, like, subsequent acts of violence by this person could impact you. Right. Um, so one of the other jurors is, uh, as you mentioned, um, an older black gentleman, and he goes up to the Rev, and I actually really appreciated this conversation. I, I, I liked a lot of the things that happened in this specific storyline, actually, surprisingly. But um, he says, basically, he, ta- he tells a story about his nephew... Yeah, who was drug dealing on an army base, which made it a federal offense. Um, so he was like, I went to the trial or whatever for my nephew, and he got 15 years in prison. And after, for just for like, you know, be, like, de- like low-level drug dealing on an army base, just because of like where he was conducting the drug activity. And also because he was black. Oh, yeah. Um, and then he says that they're, they're the case after were these four, um, like, middle-aged white men 
who ha- had been like it was some sort of healthcare um, health insurance yeah health health fraud healthcare fraud and I think it was Medicaid like specifically Medi- yeah so and they were charged with like millions of dollars of of theft from like the United States government and the the gentleman's like you know taxpayers like you and I they ripped off you know the entire like people all over the country. Um, and they made a deal with the government and didn't even pay back half of the money that they ended up, like, getting away with, and they didn't serve a day in prison. And, like, my nephew, who um, was, like, first offense, drug he dealing. He apologized. Yeah. He, like, was very sorry for what he did. He made a stupid mistake. Um, Got 15 entire, years, His yeah. entire life is basically, well, not entire life, but basically. So um, he's, like, if, if he had been white, basically, he, he would have been able to... Probably like get get a get off sentence. yeah the di- different um, outcomes. So. so he so the rev has a very good response to this where he says I will never like I don't understand. Well, he said the only thing I'll I know about being black in America is that I'll never know what it's like to be black in America. Which because I think is really it started out really badly yeah. and then he because he took a pause and then you're like uh oh he's about to say something about knowing what it's like to be black in America. But this is a very good point. He brings uh, uh, this story that the gentleman is telling. Um, brings up a lot of the like problems in the American judicial system about how uh, different races are affected differently, and also and also income, income level, yeah, yeah. poverty, uh, income level, um, class, etc. Um, there's another uh, black juror who's younger, because um, as the story progresses, basically the rev is one by one turning each juror who was guilty, uh, who's not guilty, into guilty. So at this point. Well, we did this backwards. The first yeah. person he gets to turn is the older black gentleman. Um, I forget exactly what he says. I, I think he, he goes on, you know. He basically says that I understand all of these things that you're saying and you're right. Like race plays a big, uh, like a Role big part like- in this. But you have to understand that this guy was guilty. And it has nothing to do with your nephew. Yeah, like the, or you know. any or any other time. The well, because the younger okay, so when the older guy changes his vote to guilty, the younger guy, younger black man, gets really upset. Um, and he, wait, I well, forget what I was going to say. What is he? Well, he, <laughs> well, he like he says, how can you do this? And like he feels really betrayed by the older black guy, and the older black guy is like, you can't be angry. And oh, they black. say because he's like so many people, so many black Americans don't get a fair trial. It's alluded to at a certain point that that the particular defendant that they're talking about is black. Um, but the Rev makes the point and he says, yeah, but you were sitting in on this trial and you saw that this particular defendant got a fair trial. And here we are deliberating the way, like, you know that this particular defendant got a fair trial. So just because you can't do anything about all of the defendants who have been wrongly convicted because of like an unfair trial. And he's like, this is what we're talking about right now. So he eventually changes his vote. But there is a very interesting conversation that happens between these two black men, um, which I is, feel like this is a real thing, too, like, that happens. I don't know, though. What do you mean? Like, the, so the older um, black man is like, oh, you, you know, think of, like, look at all of the, thi- like, all of the concessions that, like, white America has made to us. 
um, and like, don't get angry about this um, because things are so much better now than they were for my generation. And the younger guy says, that, I have every right to be angry. Yeah, because there's still like it's no nowhere near like equality for for like all races. So I I think that isn't that like a yeah I'm no not, like, no it like is, older it older black people sometimes do say like kind of have this different. I don't know, view of, yeah. because they're like, well, what, it's better now than it was when I was younger, so I'm happy to, like, you know, there's, we shouldn't, yeah, the, ro- don't rock the boat, like, There things, is that narrative. Yeah. It does exist in some um, conversations that happen, especially in this one where the older gentleman brings up, like, segregation and, like, marching for against segregation, and he's like, and it's so much better for you now. And he um, was like, well, and then the fact that the younger guy's like, you're not going to take away my right to be angry. Yeah. I I think, so I was getting pretty upset with this because I didn't know what direction it was going in, but I think they were just putting their different points of views across. I, I, I think they were just trying to, like, fit that, yeah, like, yeah. narrative in. Like, the older, the older yeah. man was, like, more willing to be like, oh, well, okay. Um, so he eventually changes his mind as well. There's a white girl who's like, I dated a person of color once. <laughs> and and we all know those people. So <laughs> And she's like, this is why I have a stake in the matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the Rev brings, like, eventually everybody in the room changes their vote to guilty. And they go out and they convict the guy. Um... And that's it. Do you have any... I mean, I have other things to say about this, but is there anything else you want to say about this, about what happens in the storyline specifically? Um, no, we can get into, like, how they kind of muddled what they were trying to say. Right. So, my main gripe with this was that I feel like the points about racism in the judicial system uh, and classism in the judicial system were was could have been and might have been... And for me, it was lost when you then brought up the fact, when you put it up against how they... A factually guilty, like the fact that we're talking about someone who was from what... You, well, like factually guilty. It's a fake, yes. it's a fake yes. story. So it, yeah. you can say that the, they definitely wanted to portray that, you know, all of the facts pointed that this person was conclusively guilty. And then they tried to put in this other message of um, like kind of just re, like injustice in general in the justice system. And it got messed up because it makes it seem like the Rev got people to forget their beliefs about kind of what's wrong with the justice system in the United States. And it seems like they abandoned these kind of well, like, articulated beliefs. Um, I just think, I wish, I'm sorry, continue. No, I, I, I'm trying to think of what I want to say, but I think that's the best way to yeah, no, express it. I don't know how you could have... These issues should have been separated. Yes, exactly. But I don't know how you could have done that, because if it's clearly some... If they wanted to be like, well, this person was clearly innocent, there is no discourse, because the Rev would be like, well, I'm going to do the right thing, and, you know, not without... It was not beyond a reasonable doubt, so... So what I think they could have done is made it a little more ambiguous as to whether the person was guilty or not. And then, and not, and we could have ended it with not knowing, without knowing if it's a guilty verdict or not guilty verdict. And it could have just been the conversation in the jury room about race and justice or just, or like the lack of justice or whatever in the judicial system in our country. 
But they had to, yeah, I think it really fell apart because they had to make the Rev right. Yes. Like, make, drawing, like, lines of right and wrong down this, in this conversation is, it can't be, like, you shouldn't do it when you're trying to, like, have, like, a discourse on on these issues, so. Especially because they're so sensitive. And the fact that it started out, but this was 2000, so we'll give them a hand I know, oh my god, I was, um, I was was appalled, I was shocked, mostly at the fact that these things are said, and these are, like, word-for-word arguments that are still taking place now, 17 years later, and, like, things that are, like, apparently new arguments 17 years later, but they're not, which I think is the most telling, generally speaking. But I do think looking at that second uh, user synopsis, um, it makes sense that that Brenda Hampton would be, like, tuned into this and be writing about this. I mean, um, in in the context of, like, the, like, LAPD and their very kind of racist um, history. So I could see how... um, I don't know, Brenda Hampton would be kind of in tune with all of this. Um, I also wanted to applaud this episode for allowing the people to speak. I feel like a lot of the times when the Reverend is fixing situations, um, it's his voice or the voices of the other Camdens that are the loudest. And a lot of the times um, the the quote-unquote victims or the people that he's trying to help are not allowed to tell their stories out of their own mouths. And I feel like in this situation, every single person in that courtroom that had a thing to say, so that, like, the Hispanic man, the two black men, like, everybody was able to speak without the Rev speaking on their behalf, if you get what I mean. I mean, eventually he, like... um, So the jury was pretty diverse, and just the one thing... Like, the only person that didn't get to speak, there were, like, two Asian people who didn't get to speak. that they should have been able to. And it kind of stripped them of their... Yes, I agree. ...stake in, like, racism in the criminal justice system. Agreed, definitely. And it made it seem like, well, they don't have any problems with the criminal justice system, which is... Inaccurate. Which is racist. That's a racist kind of assumption, and and I don't know... um, Statement: The fact that they were just kind of um, furniture and just like, look, we've represented all different races in this room. Um, but I did appreciate the people that did get to speak. Yeah. Um, so I think that's all we have to say about the matter. Uh, clearly, there's a lot of discussion around this, so we would love to hear from you. But before we want to hear from you, what do you want to rate this, Aaron? Um, I will give it a... Hmm... I want to give it, like, a high... Everything it, was so boring a, a, that wasn't really this. the Rebs I would. I want to give it a, a high score as well. I'm going to give it a five for Lucy's conversation with Andrew <laughs> Nalos's father and all of the other stuff that, you know, the the murder trial. But, I don't know. It was good, but misguided. I'm going to give this... I think I'm going to give this a 4.5. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm giving that the 4.5 a lot for Matt going back to the Matt that I really liked. <laughs> See, I just feel like that wastes time, especially when there was like a it more there was a more interesting storyline they could have been spending time I feel like time there on. wasn't that much time wasted. I feel like the time that was wasted was a Simon storyline. Yeah, that too. All right. Well, so if you want to talk to us about your opinions about this episode or any episode or anything, <laughs> you just want to say hello. hello. Yeah, uh, you can get in touch with us. Uh, you can email us camdencast at gmail dot com or uh, check out Camdencast on Facebook. We are Camdencast Show on Instagram and Twitter, 
And if you want to listen to past episodes, this episode, or the next episode, you can find us on soundcloud.com slash camdencast, where you can subscribe and follow us there, or like, or read, blog, I don't understand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> SoundCloud's weird. Yeah. Um, Share. Or, yeah, or you can um, get us downloaded. Or sub- You can't subscribe on SoundCloud. You can subscribe on um, iTunes podcasts app thing um, and rate review there. Um, I'm Tammy. I'm Erin. And this is Camping Cast. <laughs>